You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast, connecting aviators from across America's heartland, sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Fly Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by Keith Roxo of Wingman Med. He's going to talk to us all about your FAA medical examinations and how Wingman Med can help you along the way. And we'll have news and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode on the Fly Midwest Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Flying Midwest Podcast. I'm Maddie. I'm here with Jim. Say hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Oh, hi, Maddie. Sorry. I got confused. <laughs> it's okay. We all get confused sometimes. So what's going on, Maddie? Uh... How's your aviation life treating you? I'm so busy, which is a good thing. I have been very busy, which it's flying busy. So that's a good yeah. thing because furtherance of one's career and sure. all that. But I feel like I'm running around with my head cut off. In the spirit of Halloween, I'm feeling like the headless horseman right now, <laughs> running around with my head cut off. I'm happy. What's been going on with you, Jim? Long and short of it is I'm taking a break from learning how to teach to do some other types of learning uh, through my real job. So I'm in a 10-week intensive course which basically is my job right now. I don't have any of my regular duties and responsibilities of work. I'm solely in this school. So um, it's 10 weeks of fun and excitement. I'm reminded now how much I don't like doing research. Um, I'm having to remind myself how to do citations and research papers. It's uh, it's some work. So um, it, honestly, though, it's, it's really good content. It's really um, beneficial for my professional career, not my fake podcasting career. So um, it's going to be a good thing. And I'll get back into aviation once this whole thing is done. And I think the other perk of it might be that once I'm really like engaged in this full-time learning mode, I may just stay there and just keep plugging through CFI a little bit quicker. So that'd be great. I mean, obviously I can't do it Monday through Friday, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, (laughs) but yeah, I'll, I'll at least be in the right mindset to really be in the books. So that's my hope, at least. That's always the hardest part, I yeah. think. Well, that's that's been one of the struggles with the CFI stuff for me, that it's, I go back and forth from doing CFI stuff to doing this, to work, to CFI, to this. And I enjoy all of them, but it, it gets to be a lot. So um, the CFI stuff mm-hmm. ends up a little slower than I'd like it to be sometimes. So in that spirit, hopefully, like I said, the the educational mindset will, will stick around and I can plug away through the CFI. Well, good for you. I hope your research papers get easier and that your CFIing gets easier as well. Yeah, we'll see about one of those things. 
We'll see if I about one of those things. We'll see if I about one of those things. Wow, that was horrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. It sure was. <laughs> I mean, that's a dad joke is what it really was. It was not even a good dad joke. It's a bad dad joke. It really, really was. Well, oh, you would be pleased to hear, however, that I did tell another student about, student about my podcast, oh, which I did. apparently did not do before. Well, I... I like say we'll say it offhandedly and usually my students are like "Ooh, you're on a podcast and so this particular student has started to call it maddie's podcast i don't think he's listened yet but if you're listening to the podcast get back to studying (laughs) yeah yeah you need to figure out approaches good sir (laughs) (laughs) yeah quit listening to us and get back to studying yeah well maybe this is akin to studying well, actually, nothing I no, say on here is educational, nope. so no. <laughs> nothing we say is educational. Nothing. Maddie might be a CFI, but she – well, for him, you are a CFI, CFI. But, I mean, the general disclaimer would be – But this is – Maddie's a CFI, but not yours. Off the clock. This All is right. off the clock, ergo, I'm not being paid to teach. I am not teaching. Nothing I should be – nothing I say can be held against me in a court of law. <laughs> not a thing there you go it's more like this is for entertainment purposes there our disclaimers are this done. is for entertainment purposes only this is not a an educational podcast we learn things on this podcast but it's not an educational podcast <laughs> <laughs> well we beat that dead horse <laughs> hey jim i uh-huh. need a reminder as to what's going on this episode uh we're to talk with keith roxo of wingman med they specialize in helping pilots understand uh, the various questions they may have with their medicals uh, as far as special issuances can i get a medical things like that and help people through the process along the way so we'll talk to keith in just a little bit but before that maddie you want to read us some news I sure would. Thanks. I appreciate it. No problem. So we're actually going to start in Minnesota today, which is exciting. So with all the talk in general aviation for unleaded fuel, we can't overlook the need for sustainable fuel and low carbon fuel for the airlines. So commercial aviation is trying to become uh, carbon neutral, I think net zero by 2050. So Delta is actually kind of spearheading this with uh, through the what's called the Greater MSP Partnership. So this is Bank of America, Delta, Ecolab, and XL Energy. Um, they have established what's called the Minnesota SAF Hub. So this is the first large-scale version of this, which is essentially key players in these types of industries who are trying to scale this SAF, uh, so the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Production, to replace conventional jet fuel. Uh, These are joined by other institutions, including the state of Minnesota, to implement a strategy to aggressively combat the carbonization of the airline industry. So they're trying to just bring that down. This strategy includes a few things, uh, environmental and water stewardship um, at all points in this, what's called the value chain. So they're going to try to make sure that everything is environmentally conscious throughout this process including with production. Um, So they're trying to produce affordable, low-carbon aviation fuel, the sustainable aviation fuel. They're actually going to do this by refining, blending, and using it at MSP itself. So MSP, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, will be kind of the hub for this as they try to get this fuel up and running. The sustainable aviation fuel is one of the biggest things that the airline industry is trying to attain because... As with a lot of things that generate carbon and things, those industries are in danger. So 
trying to go to net zero for carbon is great. You know, airliners make, they suck up a lot of fuel and they make a lot of carbon. So it is good that they're doing this and we'll see where this ends up going. Cool. All right. Going down to Portage, Wisconsin, there's an airport whose closure looms. Ah! Eight hours ago, Portage Airport to stay open. Let's go. How about you read that one instead? All right, I'll I'll read that one instead. Recent turn of events. We initially had a an article about the Portage Municipal Airport in Portage, Wisconsin, about a threatening closure of the airport. Now, good news is as of yesterday, the Portage Municipal Airport will remain open following a unanimous vote. So this is great news. Super, super awesome. I'm really glad that we actually didn't see this one before because this airport was under threat of closure by a couple of the council members of the of the city because the site was prime for building and new new development. So they wanted to close down the airport because of this. There was a big uproar, clearly, and that resulted in a unanimous vote to keep the airport open, which is awesome. That pr- initial proposal really concerned a lot of com- uh, members of the community and all over. This unfortunately happens from time to time. People want the land for something else. Uh, we've seen it before. It's happened. It will happen again, but it's really, really great that this ended up being a good thing. So this actually, this vote got tabled and they delayed the vote and they ended up abolishing it before the actual vote. So that got abolished. So it's no longer in talks at all. So that's really awesome. The council is actually being encouraged to accept as much funding from the FAA and the uh, Wisconsin BOA for upgrades and improvement so they can actually improve the airport to improve the community versus taking it away and making it something different. So this is really awesome. Awesome job, people of Portage. We're glad you get to keep your airport. And everybody, go visit Charlie 47. So um, a few days ago, the University of Central Missouri in Warrensburg, Missouri, uh, celebrated the opening on Friday of its new $5.1 million Skyhaven Aviation Center. Uh, this is a facility that's actually on the Max B. Swisher Skyhaven Airport. This is the only Missouri university to operate its own public use airport. It's their airport, and they also have training at that airport for their aviation students and aviation management. This center was designed to serve both the general public and the UCM students to join the aviation industry, which is really, really cool. So this new facility includes pilot, a pilot lounge, lockers, offices, conference room, 30 private flight instructor and aviation student pods, and more than that. Yeah, they're hoping to attract new generations of students and pilots to continue flying and fly there specifically. So this center was funded by a combination of private gifts, state money, and university funds. Unlike most projects, which end up being smaller than forecasted, this one actually grew. So this was bigger than they originally intended it to be. But it's really awesome that they have this for both their students and the general public. Great job, UCM. This is awesome. Neat. Go, you guys. Also, if you're in Missouri, go check out the center. I might see if a student of mine wants to go fly there because that's actually pretty cool. If anybody wants to know, Skyhaven Airport is Romeo Charlie Mike. Well, I think that's all I have for news today. Jim, do you mind uh, sharing with some events with us? I don't mind terribly. I can certainly do that. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> Let's talk about some events coming up in the region. Well, we'll start off with Girls in Aviation Day, which will be next Saturday, September 23rd. The first event we'll talk about will be the Stars of the North chapter hosting the world's largest Girls in Aviation Day event at the Flying Cloud Airport in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. 
they'll be at the JetLinks facility at the airport. They will have a ton of exhibitors and static displays available for anyone interested in getting into aviation. For more information on their event, go to starsofthenorth.org. Another such event will take place in Salem, Indiana. That event takes place 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, September 23rd. Their event features model airplanes, flight simulators, jewelry making, and much more. The website for that event will be in the show notes. Our next event is the annual Fall Colors Fly-In and Drive-In and Campout at the Bowstring Airport, Bowstring, Minnesota. That event will be Friday, September 22nd and Saturday, September 23rd. They'll feature all kinds of cookouts and camping. More information on that event, you can contact 218-244-6328. Our next event for September 23rd will be a pancake breakfast hosted by EAA Chapter 260 at the Bolt Field, Charlie 56 in Moni, Illinois. Adults are $10, kids 12 and under will be $5. That event takes place at 8 a.m. until noon. Rounding out our events on September 23rd, the Brighton Airport Association presents their fifth annual fly-in and camp-in event. This event starts Saturday, September 23rd and ends Sunday, September 24th. The event includes flying events, camping, food, live music, and a camp atmosphere. For more information, visit brightonairport.org. Moving along to September 30th, there will be a Fly Iowa fly-in, air show, and concert. That event takes place Saturday, September 30th, 2023, and begins at 8.45 in the morning with EAA Young Eagle flights. The Fly Iowa fly-in festivities beginning at 1 p.m. to 4.30 with an air show from 4.30 to 6. More information on that event can be found at knoxvilleaviation.com. Also on September 30th, from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m., the second annual Little Falls Municipal Airport fly-in and drive-in. This event will start with a broad feed starting at 11 a.m., with a free will donation benefiting the local EAA chapter. There will be static aircraft displays, scenic flights for purchase, classic cars, and they'll be celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Charles Lindbergh Museum. We will put a link to their Facebook event in the show notes. On October 14th, you can participate in the Food for Flight event at the Walpaca, I'm sure I said that wrong, Municipal Airport in Walpaca, Wisconsin. This event takes place 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. and is hosted by EAA Chapter 444. You can participate by bringing a full bag of groceries for each passenger to serve their community's needs. They're still looking for volunteers and pilots, so you can get more information at 444wopaka.org. That will do it for our events, and make sure that just because we talked about the one uh, Girls in Aviation Day, um, there's all sorts of them around the Midwest. Be sure to check out their website if you are not sure where your local event is. Well, with the news and events out of the way, we are going to get ready to welcome Keith Roxo from Wing Med. Keith is not only an FAA senior HIMS AME, but he also has over 2,000 hours of high-performance aircraft, including the FA-18, F-16, and F-5. He's also Top Gun trained as an adversary pilot and an aeromedicine physician. So welcome to the Flying Midwest podcast, Keith Roxo with Wing Med. All right, so Keith, welcome to the Flying Midwest podcast. Really happy to have you with us. Thank you for having me on. So we're going to talk a bit about um, Wing Mad Med tonight and just a bunch of medical stuff. We've had a few medical episodes now that we've pushed out. So it's a topic that people certainly have interest in. So we'll be curious to see uh, what you've got to share with us tonight. Sounds good. It is the reason why we have a business because you have this complicated scientific thing layered on top of bureaucracy with the FAA. I, they've never been known for bureaucracy. I don't know where you got with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the government. We're here to help. <laughs> with that said, <laughs> um, 
you've listened before, so you know what's coming with the rapid fire, um, rapid fire ish, depending on what kind of aircraft you fly. Sure. <laughs> fast five <laughs> questions. So, are you ready for the fast five? I am. All right. Question number one. I'm going to throw a least favorite question at you first. Least favorite aviation movie. Oh, least favorite aviation movie. Oh, you know, it might be Iron Eagle because I loved it so much as a kid and it just didn't hold up over time. <laughs> so I tried watching it again as an adult a couple of years ago with my wife to show her. I'm like, oh, you've never seen Iron Eagle? How have you never seen that? And we watched it and she's looking at me like, this is the movie you're showing me. And I'm like, okay. This is it? I'm like, okay, it didn't, it didn't hold up over time. But when you were like a 10 or a 12-year-old and there's the 16-year-old racing a motorcycle against an airplane, and then he jumps in the F-16 and goes saves his dad, it was epic. <laughs> there's some things that just don't check out there, though. You're right. <laughs> That's so funny. All right, next question. Favorite aircraft that you have flown? Uh, the FA-18 Charlie Model Hornet. That is my favorite aircraft for sure. Very specific. I like it. <laughs> well, I did fly the Super Hornet as well, the Echo model Super Hornet, and it, it was different. It's significantly larger. It basically just has a little bit more inertia, so it's not as crisp in its movements and not as rapid to respond to your input as the Charlie model was, and so that's why. Oh, cool. Next question. Ugliest aircraft. Doesn't have to be something you've flown. Oh, wow. This has been a new one we've been throwing in more and more. <laughs> Ugliest. You know, I think the one that comes to the top of my head is the Spruce Goose. I think it's just a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she sure is ugly. That's a good answer. Amazing, amazing, but ugly. Right. Ugly as hell. Yeah, those two <laughs> things can exist at once. <laughs> yeah, my wife says that about me. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's horrible. That's a Trevor joke. What? The, yeah. I'm incredible, but I'm not very good looking. It's not false. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this is an audio format publication. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have faces for radio. Yeah, correct. Um, next question is favorite air show or aviation event venue? Reno Air Race is hands down. Yeah. It's such a fantastic blending of, you know, racing with airplanes combined with an air show style event. And, you know, you can go in the pits and you can look really close. You get really close to the aircraft if you want to pay for the pit passes. I was just crushed that they announced that this is going to be the final year. And part of that is because I have land in Reno. You know, I'm planning on building my house in the next couple of years and, and moving out to Reno. And that's one of the reasons why I like Reno so much is the Reno Air Races. So I'm going to be very disappointed about that. I, I hope they do find a new location. But uh, I was very disappointed about the, the announcement of the final Reno Air Races. All right. Final question. If you could meet anyone in aviation dead or alive and have a conversation with them, who would it be? Favorite aviator that I would want to meet dead or alive, uh, I'm going to go with Chuck Yeager. I think it would just be interesting. And I know, you know, I've read the book. I've seen the movie. I've read his book, not just the right stuff. But I think it'd be interesting to talk to him just about his mindset of, you know, going into going into that yeah. type of testing. I, I like the movie The Right Stuff, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a fantastic movie. I've never seen it. You've never seen The Right Stuff? 
Am I a bad pilot if I've never seen it? I, I don't think that makes you a bad pilot, but it is a great movie. <laughs> well, when I say I don't like the original Top Gun, people get real mad real fast. So I don't know. That hasn't held up as well either. It is not. <laughs> it is not as bad as Iron Eagle. That's for sure. <laughs> I think I would enjoy it a little more now. I first watched it when I was getting into aviation, and I'm like, hazardous attitude city, what is this garbage? And then volleyball? Why is there such a focus on volleyball? And freaking... It's a volleyball movie with airplanes, is what I've told people, so... (laughs) Yes, and the thing that made it the worst for me was the song. I can't stand Danger Zone. They played it like four or five times in the movie. I kid you not. (laughs) I hate it. <laughs> it makes me so mad. I don't I don't know why. Irrational anger. Anyway. I'm going to add another question to the Fast Five here. Because, so it's going to be Fast Six tonight. We've never done this before, but this is special. Based on Maddie's comment about Top Gun not holding up. Oh, as no. someone who's been involved in naval aviation, how does that movie make you feel? <laughs> the first the first one or the second one? You know what? I'm, I'd be willing to entertain both of those movies if you want to speak on both. So I joined the Navy to be a fighter pilot because of the first Top Gun. So, so it worked. It was with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was nine years old when that came out. And between that and an air show, the Great New England Air Show at Westover Reserve Air Base, those two things happened within a year of each other. And those two things just put me on the path. Like I have to be a fighter pilot and I have to be a Navy fighter pilot because I want to land on aircraft carriers. <laughs> and, um, and my dad has a funny story. He's like, you know, what nine-year-old says that and then actually goes and does it, you know? So, yeah. So, I have a lot of fondness for the first movie. It doesn't hold up quite as well over time in terms of, you know, the some of the detail. But, again, it, it's, you know, it's a movie. Not all the right. detail is going to be there like reality. So, it's different, right? It's like a police officer watching law enforcement TV shows, right? They're going to pick out, you know, <laughs> or they're going to pick out all the things that are done wrong. Like they can't even enjoy the show. I've never done that. And my wife will not let me watch law enforcement shows. She's <laughs> like, you need to go to another room. Like, all right, this is wrong. But yeah. <laughs> but I think they took a lot of the lessons learned from that first movie. And when they made Maverick, they had a very good crew on there for technical advisors. I actually know some of the technical advisors on that movie. Worked with them in the past and, fl- and flew with them. And they did a very good job of blending, right, the movie entertainment. Certain things they do in that movie are are blatantly unsafe in terms of the proximity of formation flying and things like that. But that's a movie, right? That's the movie part of it. But a lot of the scenario and tactics that they use are based in reality and in, in how we would operate those aircraft. And the filmmaking, again, I'm not a filmmaker or anything like that, but I thought it was fantastic in terms of showing people what it's like to fly those types of aircraft. Sure. That was a more glowing review than I thought. Pleasantly. I liked, to be fair, I liked Maverick. I liked it a lot. So, Well, thank you so much for playing along with our fast six questions tonight. You're the extra bonus winner tonight. With that, should we get into what we're here to talk about? Certainly. So I think to start off, before we talk about Wingman Med, let's talk about your background experience with not just aviation, but a little bit of your medical background. Okay. So like I said, you know, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to not just be a pilot, but I wanted to be a Navy fighter pilot. And what's kind of funny about that is I never flew an airplane until I was at flight school for the Navy. I had gotten a ride as a midshipman in the back of a T-34 
and I got a ride in the back of an S3 Viking, but I'd never really flown until I showed up at, at flight school. And so there I am, first flight ever is, you know, in a, a T-34 Charlie at 500 horsepower turboprop airplane. Now they put people through a little short syllabus and, you know, with a local flight school flying, you know, Packers or Cessnas, you know, to make sure those people who are going to quit on the first flight, you know, quit on the first flight before they put a lot of money in them. Sure. Because that did happen. And so from there, I went through, you know, I flew the T-34 in Florida, and then I flew the T-2 Charlie, the Buckeye in Mississippi, and then I flew the T-45 uh, Gossock in Texas, and then I became an F-A-18 pilot. So I flew that, did my initial training in California, did my first tour with Squadron in California, and then I went to Fallon, Nevada, and I went through the Top Gun course as an adversary and stayed there as a as an adversary, professional adversary, essentially for a few years. And then uh, at the time, there were just some changes going on in promotion in the military, and I had decided, you know, what I think is going to be best for me and my family at the time was, you know, maybe I'll go ahead and get out and, and be a reserve fighter pilot and be an airline pilot. Well, that was two thousand and eight. And so that didn't go very well. And I had seen 9-11. I was, I was in F-18 training when 9-11 happened. I saw what happened to the airline industry, you know, as a very young pilot. And so now I'm seeing it again in 2008. I'm, I'm just seeing the airline industry get decimated. And a good buddy of mine who did almost all of flight school with me, I was talking to him one day about, man, what am I going to do? And he's like, well, I'm going to medical school. And I said, what? What do you mean you're going to medical school? <laughs> So we talked about it and I've kind of always been of the mindset that if somebody else can do something, so can I. So that kind of led to me thinking about medical school and looking at aviation. And I decided, well, I'm going to give it a little bit of time. And sure enough, after about a year and a half, two years, the airlines were nowhere near recovering. They were not even hiring back their furloughed pilots, let alone, you know, hiring new pilots on the horizon. So then I decided, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a course correction here. And I started uh, looking at medical school, the application process, started taking classes. Um, I had a bachelor's degree in physics, which gave me some background, but I didn't have the chemistry or biology background. So I had to take those classes, prep for the MCAT. And then I got into medical school. So I went ahead and, you know, I let the Navy pay for undergrad and flight school and I owed them a lot of time. So I figured why not let the Navy pay for medical school and go to residency and you know, owe them a bunch more time. So that's what I did. And then through that process, I discovered, I always knew what a flight surgeon was, right? I was a, yeah. I was a fighter pilot in the Navy. We had flight surgeons. So I knew what a flight surgeon was, but I didn't know that a flight surgeon, you could be like a professional flight surgeon. I thought it was kind of like you did it once and then you went on to the rest of your training and became a regular doctor. Well, what I learned at the military medical school was that there is a whole specialty of aerospace medicine. And so it's, the same length of training as family medicine or pediatrics or internal medicine. It's a full, you do your one year internship and then two more years of your, your dedicated training. So as soon as I found out about that and I read the course program to my wife, she just looked at me and said, wow, that sounds like it was made for you. <laughs> so that's what I ended up choosing was aerospace medicine. That led to me getting board certified in aerospace medicine and then being a professional flight surgeon. So I knew about these junior flight surgeons, but I didn't realize that there were higher level positions. So at major commands or kind of like higher echelon levels. And so those are some of the jobs that I was put into uh, after. And that's, that's kind of how I got into this. From there, you know, 
what being a pilot, and then I was still flying as a doctor for the Navy. So I was a T-45 instructor pilot as a doctor, and I was an F-5 adversary pilot as a doctor. And so I was flying with these guys. And so they knew like, okay, he's, he's a real pilot and he's a doctor. So maybe I'm going to trust this guy a little bit more sure, because he's sure. a real pilot. And so we would talk about issues and, and I would say, oh yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's not a big deal. And sometimes they would ask me more in the ready room than in the clinic because I couldn't document it immediately on the computer. <laughs> so, but we would talk about it and I would say, yeah, all we need to do is, you know, do X, Y, and Z and you're going to be fine. And they're like, this isn't going to cause a problem for my, my medical. No, this isn't going to cause a problem. And so that's one of the things that I learned as a pilot. I was very scared of medical for the same reasons that everybody else was. But then becoming not just a doctor, but an aerospace medicine doctor, I realized you have to be actually fairly broken to not be able to pass in medical, or you have to be taking a medication that is of significant concern that you may not realize, but in a low oxygen concentration and, you know, and high cognitive demand environment might be problematic that, that you don't really know walking around at you know, one G and, you know, in a couple knots, you know. So those are the things that I learned. So I was able to show pilots that I could take care of them and keep them flying. And then I got my FAA qualification because we had a lot of reservists and there was no, no AMEs in the area. So I got that qualification. Well, next thing you know, I'm having guys from other bases come to me. And then I was talking to my friend who we did flight school together, Dan Monlux. He's my partner in Wingman Med. I was talking to him one day about how, you know, what I realized is I started getting all these people asking for help. And then some of these people were friends of the pilots. And so some of them were reservists who had a friend who was an airline pilot and not in the military and couldn't come see me at the clinic. And so oh, okay. we started putting it together where we know what they need to do. We just can't be the ones who are doing it because they couldn't come see us in our military clinic. So that's how my friend Dan and I came up with the consultation service idea. So we can work with a pilot no matter where they are, and they can work with their local doctors and the local AME to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody has their information correct. Because the big thing is, you know, People show up for their private or their commercial or their instrument check ride. They show up prepared. Most people don't show up to their medical prepared, but it is an examination every bit as much as a check ride is. And so, you know, that's our belief. You know, show up to that medical exam prepared like you would for any other check ride. And things are going to go a lot smoother. I think that's an awesome take. I think that's not something that anybody thinks about, like you said. You're absolutely right. Right. Most people think they think, well, I'm just going to the doctor for a checkup, but it's not. It is it is not a checkup. It is an examination determine your suitability to fly over the next X period of months based on whatever class you're going for. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the history of you guys putting this together. What about was that? So it was about a little over two years ago is when we first, you know, kind of said, Okay, we're gonna make this happen. And then we didn't even have the website up and running until about two years ago right now. And then we started getting our first clients in August, September of 2021. So two years ago was the first time we started getting clients. And then, you know, we kind of split up responsibilities in terms of he does a lot of the, the, the data stuff, the web design and web development and, you know, kind of those backend features. Whereas I do a lot of the client engagement, right? Trying to bring clients to us, trying to get people to know who we are and understand, you know, what we do and 
and that we're different. You know, we're not your average AME. We are professional pilots before we became doctors. You know, we're not doctors who then decided to go buy a Bonanza or a Cirrus, right? So we were, you know, full of, I have my ATP, I have my CFII. Uh, you know, I had all my airline applications in before everything tanked uh, in 2008. That's one of the major differences between us and a traditional AME. And kind of like not every pilot you know is a great pilot. Not every AME is a great AME. And a lot of AMEs, they're not set up. It's not that they don't want to help pilots. It's that their business isn't set up to do it. So most AMEs, they're doing the exams kind of in addition to their normal practice. Most AMEs, they're not professional AMEs. And even the professional AMEs, their practice is designed to knock out as many patients in a day as possible. Well, if you have a problem, that slows down their process. So unless they have their business built in such a way to have that time to help you and a way to charge you for that, well, then they're just less interested because now you're just taking more time and they're losing money. And so unless they're set up properly, it's not in their financial interest to assist you. It's not that they don't want to necessarily. And I'm sure some of them don't, but a lot of them do. They just don't necessarily have the time. And so that's where we step in, right? We can help people prepare from from virtually anywhere. So what are some of the most common issues that you guys deal with? The most common issue is paperwork, actually. Now, I think you might have been asking what's the most common medical issues, but really the most common issue we see is paperwork. You'll hear about people who get stuck in the medical certification process for a long time, and you'll hear people say, well, I gave the FAA everything they asked for, and they keep asking for more. Well, there's usually a couple things that have gone wrong. One thing that went wrong is you think you gave them what they asked for, but you didn't. They asked you for a detailed clinical progress note from your treating physician, and you sent in a note from a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. Well, they don't accept that. They only accept notes from physicians. Or you, oh, wow. they, they asked you for a detailed clinical progress note from your treating physician, and you sent in a letter, which is different from a detailed clinical progress note, right? So details matter. And so you think you sent them what they asked for, but you didn't. The other big issue with paperwork that we see is particularly with modern electronic health records is that information will carry over in your file, even if it's no longer true. But unless it's actively removed, it'll be there. So you'll send in a note, right? Let's say you have a particular condition and the FAA wants to know about it. Well, you have your doctor write the note, the doctor writes the note. But in that note, it also says you have another condition that you didn't tell the FA because you didn't know you had that condition. Your doctor diagnosed you with it six months ago, but he didn't tell you. Or there's a medication from a surgery that you had a year ago that's still listed as a current medication, but it's a, sure. you know, it's like, you know, it's like um, Percocet or something like that, but it's listed Percocet as a current medication. Well, the FAA is not going to be happy about that, mm-hmm. right? So those are the things that we actually see are one of the biggest problems is paperwork issues. Now, from medical conditions, you know, one of the big ones is sleep apnea. That causes a lot of problems because when you look at the questions on MedExpress, it asks very specific questions because the FAA is primarily concerned about a sudden or insidious loss of control, right, or loss of capacity. So think like heart attack or a seizure, right? Yeah. You know, but the there's the insidious loss of control as well that they're worried about. And that's something a lot of people don't think about. And so that's kind of where 
you know, certain medications they don't like because on low oxygen environment, that kind of thing, it can start having, you know, deleterious effects. But sleep apnea is not specifically asked. So those questions are very specific, but there is a catch-up, other illness, disability, or surgery. And that's where you're supposed to put anything else. But it's not super intuitive and it's not very obvious. So a lot of people kind of get stuck with that and uh, it'll come up somewhere else, right? That'll be on the thing where you sent in a note about X. And by the way, I also have sleep apnea. And now the FA is like, well, tell me about sleep apnea. So sleep apnea seems to, to catch a lot of people. But there's a very strict protocol. As long as you meet all of the guidelines, you will get your medical. And that's true for, for the majority of things. As, as long as you meet the protocol and meet the treatment guidelines, you will get your medical. Well, that's encouraging, if anything. I feel like a lot of people know a little bit about how scary the FAA is with MedExpress and their, the medical process. And they're like, I have this mm-hmm. condition. There's no way I can get a medical. I'm not even going to try. Most of the time you can. It's got to be pretty serious. We have a series on our blog called Success Stories. You know, we've helped people who've had significant neurological pain, but they've recovered from it, right? So they had a bulging disc in their spine that was causing significant problems and weakness, but they recovered with surgery and physical therapy. So then it's just a matter of obviously the FA, if you cannot use an arm, well, that's going to be a problem, right? But if you're better, you can fly. Well, they're not just going to take your word for it, right? They need proof. Same thing if you have a heart attack, you have to prove that your heart is fit to fly. So, you know, we've got a few other success stories. We had a gentleman who had a recurrent brain tumor and it was controlled with medication and they were able to stop it from growing and we were able to help him get his medical. He was a professional flight instructor. And so his livelihood depended on his ability to fly. You know, we had a Marine with very significant PTSD. But again, he recovered. He had good treatment and he recovered. Obviously, if you have active symptomatic problems, uh, regardless of if they're physical or mental, that's not good to be flying with. But once you recover, it's that ability to show the FA that you have recovered. Now, most of these folks, they're going to have ongoing annual requirements. You have a brain tumor. Well, every year you have to show that your brain tumor is not growing and that you're you know, the, the things that it impacts are all well regulated. And as long as you can show that, you will continue to get your medical. Same thing with the gentleman with the history of PTSD. As long as he can show, yes, I continue to see my, you know, my therapist and I continue to be in remission. You can't just stop on your own. Right? You have to continue to show that things are still stable. I'm still doing well. But if you can do those things, you can, you can generally get your medical. It's got to be a pretty potent thing to stop you from getting that medical. or more often than not, people just stop answering. The FA asks a question and they just stop answering, either because it's too hard or they don't understand the process. So the FAA is making some slow progress in some areas in the fields of medicine and mental health and how they handle those things in terms of medicals. Can you give us some insight on some of the latest changes that impact pilots' ability to get or maintain their medicals? Yeah, for sure. There are several new decision tools that have come out. And so one is the situational depression decision tool. And another one is the PTSD decision tool. And these are tools that the AME can use. And so if somebody has these conditions historically, right? So this is a historical thing. They're not currently suffering from the condition and they're mild enough and they meet certain criteria, then the AME can make that decision right there and issue the certificate, right? So what we hear a lot you know, either online or, or in person 
are statements such as like the FA won't let me get help for a mental health thing because then they, you know, they won't let me have my medical. Well, that kind of goes back to that heart attack example, right? So what happens before a heart attack? You start having chest pain. So if you're having chest pain, walking up and down stairs every day, you haven't had a heart attack yet, but are you safe to fly? Well, probably not because you're a heart attack waiting to happen. Well, same thing. It depends on how bad it is. So if you're having significant mental health issues, well, then no, you should not be flying until you're better. But if you're having minor issues, you know, marital counseling or some, you know, stress at work with a new job or a boss who's, you know, having a bad week, just because you talk to somebody for help doesn't mean you're in trouble. But this is where some issues come in. And this is not the FAA's fault. And this is not the patient's fault or the pilot's fault. This is sometimes medicine's fault because they have to code in order to bill. And so if you go into a cardiologist because you hurt your chest bench pressing weight in your garage, he's unlikely to code you as a heart attack, right? In fact, he's probably not even going to want to see you because you hurt your chest bench pressing, right? He's not going to see you. But if you go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and again, this is not to badmouth them, they have to bill to get paid. So what are they going to code you with? Well, if they jump to, and this is particularly bad with some of the telehealth stuff, if they jump to anxiety or depression, well, they've just given you a major diagnosis for something that may, not, may be a bit early to say. But the FAA doesn't know that. They don't know that they jumped the gun. They just know you were told you have this diagnosis. Now we need to know that you're better. So that's kind of where the problem comes from. So a lot of it is not the FAA's fault and it's not the pilot's fault. It's maybe that the pilot is choosing to go to the wrong person for help. Maybe they should have started off with a counselor rather than a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Now, I'm not telling people not to get help. Obviously, if you are having any type of issues, whether they're physical or mental, you should be getting help and then figure out the flying part on the backside. But Sometimes people hold off on getting help until things are really bad. Whereas if you start getting help earlier, you don't necessarily need major interventions and it's going to have to be less impactful on your medical. What's awesome about the, um, the matrices that you, you talked about? Yeah, those are both fairly new. Um, we have word that there's going to be an ADHD decision tool mm -hmm. coming out. Yeah, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We actually petitioned the FAA at a conference back in May, there was, we were at some lunches, it was an aerospace medicine conference, and we went to a lot of the FAA sessions. And a lot of the topics of discussion was ADHD. And I'm a big believer in significant overdiagnosis of kids in the last you know, couple of decades. And you end up with a lot of children who received a diagnosis that was probably not accurate. It was probably not done by the right level of professional with the right amount of effective evaluation and then they're just throwing pills at kids and you know they might not have taken pills for very long and so now they're saddled with this and the fa is like well this is a big deal and they're not wrong attention deficit disorder is a big deal for trying to fly an aircraft so they make you prove that you don't have it so what we did what we pitched to them was what i felt would be a good way to handle it. And it's a way that I have handled it with some military pilots who made it through the Navy process 
and then they're separating from the Navy and they're like, well, I want to get my FAA met. Well, it seems very silly to put somebody through the FAA testing protocol to prove that they don't have ADHD because the testing protocol is in lieu of real world experience, right? We don't want this guy to get behind the controls of an aircraft until he proves that he is cognitively capable of doing it. Well, here I have a mission commander, naval aviator, who's you know qualified in multiple aircraft. He's already proven it in the real world, in military aircraft. He doesn't need to prove it via testing before he goes fly civilian. So I kind of based it on that, and I pitched to the FAA if it was a childhood diagnosis before the age of 10, if they haven't had any medication since they were a child, probably before age 10, they have a current psychiatric evaluation that says no concerns for ADHD, then let the CFI and the DPE figure out if they can fly just like anyone else. Because if you're really that bad, if you truly have attention deficit hyperactive disorder, Disorder is the key word there. It means you have a functional impairment in everyday life. You're not going to get past your CFI or DPE if you have a significant disorder. So we don't know exactly what the final thing is going to look like. If it looks like exactly what I submitted, then I'll claim credit for it. But if it doesn't, <laughs> if it doesn't look exactly like what we submitted, then uh, we won't claim credit for it. But we do know that something is, is coming soon. We just don't know exactly when it's going to come out. I think that's going to be one of, that will be huge. That has been such a nightmare for so many people. Mm -hmm. um, I have a few friends who have managed to get through the process, but it is so expensive, especially, you know, even just for a childhood diagnosis, no meds. And I, I'm with you. I'm not a medical professional, but I'm with you. I think that's, the, the overdiagnosis and even still today with adult even adults i mean adults you know you kind of know when something's really wrong but like older kids right. and stuff are just being put on these meds when they probably don't need them i've been reading a lot of research on that and how like our daily lives impact this is kind of a rabbit trail sorry but our daily lives kind of impact how we function as humans and how like things like mm -hmm. um like social media and stuff are making our brains act like they have adhd when they actually don't so I think that is fascinating, but horrifying and also sucks for people who were on the unfortunate end of that and have been diagnosed and are now, you know, battling to get a medical. Oh. Yeah. And the FAA is stuck in the position of, right, they're, they're trying to protect the skies. So they're trying to protect the skies. So they have no choice but to assume that the doctors have done the right thing and until proven otherwise. And so that's the problem with these these quick diagnoses and these, you know, I'll have some patients of mine where they'll have done a telehealth, they'll come to see me and they'll have done a telehealth mental health evaluation and they'll get diagnosed. It'll be a 15 minute telehealth appointment and they'll get diagnosed with insomnia, depression, and ADHD. And they'll be given a, a, a three drug regimen. And I just want to find that physician and tear their medical license up and tear up their, their diploma because it's just so terrible to do that to somebody, there's just no way you can diagnose somebody with those three conditions off of a 15-minute telehealth point. I'm seeing a lot of those kinds of, you know, people make their lives public on the internet, which is thrilling for somebody who doesn't. 
<laughs> and <laughs> but seeing the p- amount of people who are like, I have autism and ADHD and bipolar, and you know, it's like there's a lot of people saying that, and I'm not, I'm not convinced that all of those are 100% legit. There is just no way that that's legit. Well, and then they'll go on either Reddit or Pilots of America and say, I have all these things. How do I get my medical? Yeah. Yeah. Never seen that before on either of those <laughs> formats. I don't think I've seen your responses yeah. there either. So, <laughs> real quick, I got to split here to go get my daughter. However, I, I hate doing this. I really, really do. But it's okay. I can handle it. I, I'm a big girl. I can do it. I know you can. It's fine. I just feel bad. I may as well be independent at some point. I rely on you for a lot of things. So it's time to push you out of the nest, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you can fly with this podcast all by yourself. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's like a solo flight. I'll sign an endorsement for you and just it'll be fun. <laughs> you two have a lot of fun with the last couple of questions. Okay. Bye, Jim. So do you have anything else you'd like to mention about um, like new things or things you think could be improved um, as far as the FAA goes? Well, I think one of the things that the FAA could, could improve is difficult for them to improve, and that's staffing. And so it's very difficult for them to react you know, quickly. It, again, it's a government bureaucracy. There are rules about hiring, and then you have very specific people that you need to hire, and then they have you know, salary restrictions because it's a government-employed position. And so it, it's difficult for them to flex their staffing to signal demand. And so... That is something that, yes, it is the FAA's fault that they don't have enough staff to handle the mental health caseload that they have, but it isn't like they haven't been doing anything. They've got those decision tools. They're working on new decision tools. They uh, have hired multiple psychiatrists in the, just the last couple of years. So they, they are working on it. But this year in particular, they're on pace to have 400,000 exams go through their office which will be a record for them. So they can be moving at the fastest speed that they can, and it will be difficult for them to keep up. For sure. Jim and I attended a forum at Oshkosh. Uh, there was a gal from who was working with the AOPA, um, Dr. Penny Levin. Um, she was talking about how the FAA has hired, I think they have seven psychologists on staff, and four or five of those were hired in the last couple of years which is, you know, pretty significant. Mm-hmm. It sucks that they have, they shoulder the burden of all of these medicals. Right. But at least it's something. Right. Like you said, they're, they're, it's not like they're not trying. Mm-hmm. Deviating a little bit to your business and how that works. So how does it work? What kind of services and resources do you provide to your clients? So we provide a couple of things. So on our website, we have a MedExpress simulator and that is completely free to use because a lot of people, they haven't filled it out in a number of years or maybe they've never filled it out. And so they, they don't know what it looks like. And then if you fill it out and you submit it, well, now you either have to go to the exam or you have to wait two months for it to age out before you can do a new one. So on our website, we have a MedExpress simulator and that's wingmanmed.com. And that simulator gives you the opportunity to look at the exact same questions that they have, and they don't go anywhere. It doesn't go to the FAA. It doesn't even go to us unless you say you want us to review it. Now, that is a modest $50 fee if you want one of our physicians to review your answers. But then we can review the answers and provide some feedback. Either, hey, you know, you have some inconsistencies in the way you answered questions, or 
you listed the uh, yes to this, but you didn't put any explanation. That's going to cause questions from your AME. So be prepared to answer those types of questions. So that's kind of what we do for that. Our flagship service is what we call our FA record review and case preparation service. So let's say you come down with a medical condition, right? So either, either you're in an accident, you have a significant injury, or you have a new medical condition, and now you're concerned, hey, how is this going to work for the FAA? Well, we offer everybody the chance to have a free 15-minute consultation because what you may be concerned about, I may not be concerned about, or it may be so easy from a, you need to talk to your doctor and have him discuss this, that we can cover that in the 15-minute call. And if that's what we can do, great, because my number one goal is to keep people flying. If not, if it is more complicated, then we can at least discuss what we think your chances are and what we can do to help. And so that is, you know, and that's a flat rate service. So it is a $1,500 service, but it is a flat rate. So if you have one condition or you have five conditions or in the process of doing the paperwork and reviewing, let's say we like to review paperwork. So we give you a personalized plan that is unique to you. So your medical conditions, and we will give you that step-by-step -step plan. We need to see this type of doctor. These are the things they need to discuss. You need to get this type of study done or these types of labs done. And then we want to see all that stuff afterwards to check it because the, going back to that, what I said earlier, the paperwork issues. And that's where we'll catch a lot of these things and save people a ton of time. If you go into an exam and you're not prepared and you get deferred, you're looking at a minimum of six to nine months to get through the process. And that's assuming you do everything correctly. You have any issues at all, you're at 15 to 18 months, which is just a nightmare. I believe it was one of your recent podcasts. They talked about 80% of people don't finish their flight training. Well, if you start your flight training before you have a medical, but you can't solo until you have your medical and it takes you 15 to 18 months to get your medical, are you ever going to finish? Probably not. You're probably just going to quit. That's what happens to a lot of people with their medical as well. And even the FAA puts out that information. The vast majority of people who are denied their medical, it's not that they're denied because of the condition. They're denied because the pilot never gave them the information that they requested. Now, either they couldn't provide it or they wouldn't provide it or they didn't know how to provide it. That's an unknown. So that's our record review and case preparation service. We also have a subscription service. And kind of going back to that, being careful what your doctor diagnoses you with or wants to give you for medication, we offer that one free 15-minute consultation. But after that, you have to have some kind of service with us. So our subscription service is designed for people who have a valid medical already, and they don't have a major medical concern, but they want to be able to consult with us on a regular basis. So either email or set up a phone call, or they have a complicated exam. So a lot of our success story uh, folks on our blog, they are subscription clients now because they have complicated things that have to be done every year and they don't want that paperwork to screw them up because they are professional aviators. So they want that to go as smooth as, as possible. And they know if everything's done correctly, they will get their medical issued at the exam. But if they don't do it correctly, well, now they're waiting and they don't want to wait. So that subscription service is good for not just people who have complicated issues, but people who just want to make sure they don't have a problem. We look at that as a value. Obviously, we look at it as a value because it's my business. So I think it's valuable. <laughs> but sure. for folks who are paying, you know, 70 or $80 a month for internet or for their phone, well, if your livelihood depends on your ability to fly or you're investing a lot of time and money and energy in becoming a pilot to make it your livelihood, 
well, it might be worth a little bit of monthly money as well to make sure that your medical doesn't get lost on accident because of something another doctor did. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I have a, a burning question that kind of pertains. So documentation and paperwork. I've seen a lot of stuff, I feel like recently, about the FAA asking about records that simply do not exist anymore. You know, how records only go back so far. And, you know, some hospitals, when they transfer over to the digital records, that stuff is gone. Sure. The old stuff is gone. How would one deal with the FAA asking for something that doesn't exist anymore? So when the FAA is asking for something that may not exist anymore, you have to show them that you tried to get it. Because if you just, because again, they're operating from a position of safety and they say, hey, we understand you were in a traumatic car accident 15 years ago and that there was some concern for a traumatic brain injury. We would like to see all of the records from that you know, accident. And you're like, well, I can't get them. Well, they're stuck in the position where we know you had this accident. You told us you had this accident, but now you're telling us you can't get the records. So you must be fine. Well, who, you know, from a safety perspective, which way do they have to lean? They have to lean to the side of, well, is this guy being honest or not? And so the way you handle that or the way we handle that is we show proof of attempt to get it. copies of emails, transcripts of phone calls, written letters. I contacted this hospital. They, this was the reply. We think email is the perfect medium for that because it's all just right there. You can just print it. And so. Now you have this documented conversation with, hey, we expunged all records prior to blank. Now the FAA already knows when it was, and so prior to blank is accounting for that time. So that is your, I have tried to get these. And then you couple that with a current evaluation of the condition by the right professional that says everything's fine. That's how you get around a scenario like that. One last question. I think, again, this is simply because you know things. So you're supposed to record every time you go to the doctor, every time you get a scan done, every time, basically, they want to know everything. Kind um, of. When you, kind sort of. Sort of. Well, to an extent. They want to know medical treatment appointments. So this kind of goes like if you're going to physical therapy for, you know, a twisted ankle, you don't have to report that. Um, okay. If you go to the orthopedic surgeon for a twisted ankle, because this is the first like, wow, I twisted my ankle and I went to my doctor to be seen. You got to report that, but you don't have to necessarily report the physical therapy. If you're going to a family counselor for marital problems, you don't have to report that because that is not medical treatment. But if you go to a psychiatrist because you're having hallucinations, you do need to report that. So not everything needs to be reported. Thank you for clarifying that. So if you had, you went in for a condition and it was treatable and it was treated and everything, and you neglect to put that on your medical mm -hmm. and you remember after the fact, and maybe you're somebody like me who is under 40 and your medical is good for five years. What do you do in the interim to not get in super huge trouble for that? There's a couple of ways you can handle that. Number one is just to contact the FAA and say, Hey, I neglected to you know, put this on. I just realized I did that. I would like to correct my record. So you can, you can, you know, Google FAA AMCD aero. That's the um, aerospace medic medical certification division. And you can contact them and, and say you'd like to do that. We're kind of not fans of that method because that's not the normal method that a pilot will communicate with the FAA. Our plan 
in that scenario is just go in for a new exam, fill out a new med express, do a new exam and get everything corrected. There are some issues with that. If you try and go in for an exam within two months of a previous exam being issued, your AME cannot give you a certificate. It is required to be deferred because the FAA is like, well, this is weird. Why are they coming back so soon? We really want to look at this. So just know that if you do it within two months, you may not be able to be issued your medical right away. But that is our preferred method for a couple of reasons. MedExpress is now online when you fill out MedExpress and you go to the exam. You can kind of track the status of your exam in MedExpress. So there'll be a little update like in review, in final review, documents received, things like that. So if you just call them and say, hey, I'd like to add this, well, you have no idea where your case is now at, right? You're waiting, you're effectively waiting for a letter from the FAA to tell you what they want to see in relation to that. Or maybe they don't want to see anything and then they may not even send you a letter and now you're just like freaking out. What's going on? Am I going to hear something? Do they want anything? And then you're going to call back and they might say, oh yeah, we, no, we don't need anything. But nobody told you the first time, right? So that's why we think just going to a new exam, having an AME determine, okay, yeah, you still meet the qualification. Here's your certificate. Or no, you don't. We have to defer you to the FAA for further review. But then you can track the status of it. You'll know when they're requesting information. Uh, you'll know when they received your information. You'll know when you're in final review. And typically, not always, typically you'll see the status change in there uh, to approved or denied before you get anything back in the mail. Well, awesome. Thank you for entertaining my, my little brain nugget questions. So our final segments, which Jim and I like to feel like <laughs> it is time. So I have to do that all by myself and it looks weird. So at the end, as is tradition, we ask a very important question to you. What is your aviation unpopular opinion? My unpopular opinion is that the FAA is not the bad guy. And in particular, the FAA medical division is not the bad guy. You know, they have to operate from a position of safety, like I mentioned before, and they're not seeing you in person. The AME might be seeing you in person, but the people reviewing all the records in Oklahoma, they are not seeing you in person. And it's, they, they're not holding it against you as a pilot individually. They're literally operating with the information in front of them. So when they receive conflicting information or new information that um, might be disqualifying and doesn't have any supporting documentation, they have no choice but to ask for clarification and more information. And that gets very frustrating for pilots. But again, it goes back to kind of what I said before, the you think that you're giving them what they want, but you might be giving them more than they asked for or introducing new information or subtly not giving them exactly what they asked for. And those are the things that cause problems. We did a, a webinar for the American Bonanza Society recently, and it's available uh, for FAA Wings credit as well. And we talk about the whole medical certification process. And we had somebody email us, I think the very next day and said, I was so mad at the FAA. I've been battling them for over two years. And after watching your webinar, I now know that it was my AME's fault and my doctor's fault and not the FAA's fault. Yeah, I think there's a big disconnect there. And a lot of people want to blame the FAA because they're always the big bads. You know, they're the ones trying to keep us out of the sky. But really, the good, you know, the good people that are in, especially the medical division, they don't want that. They want us to fly. They can't let 
us if, you know, again, like you said, they don't know us. They don't, they're not there with us in person. They don't know that, so they have to be careful. Otherwise, it's on them if something goes wrong. So it makes complete sense once you put it that way. I like that spicy but very informative take. So I think this concludes our Wingman Med episode. Okay. So thank you so much, Keith, for your time this evening. We really, really appreciate it. And we hope to see some wonderful things in the aerospace medicine space. We're excited also to see how Wingman Med grows. So I think you got a really good thing going there. All right. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Keith, for joining us on this episode. We really enjoyed having you on. And if any of you have any questions on your medical, again, they do free consultations. So definitely go do that before you go get your medical. It'll really help. Yep. And even if you do have your medical, if you've got a situation where maybe you're on to basic mag, you're looking at a situation where maybe you want to try to get a special issuance, um, they'll look at those things as well, too, with a free consult and tell you what direction you may want to go from there. So um, so I actually have my own consult with Keith about my own medical situations. Um, super helpful. I was able to go through my circumstances, um, some of the thoughts that I'm having about trying to go for special issue and staying on basic med and just running through the different scenarios. Um, it was really helpful, helped me figure out what direction I want to go. So um, if you are at all on the fence about what your medical circumstances look like, um, reach out to them. They'll give you a consult and help you figure out what direction to go and bring you down that path if that's what you choose. So what do we got coming up on our next episode, Maddie? Our next episode will be another live from Osh with Lauren Jones, who is the gyroplane extraordinaire of Minnesota. No, I'm not taking that back. Lauren, deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren has had a vast career in aviation. He has been an airline pilot. He's been a chief pilot for a flight school, and he's done numerous other things. And now in his retirement, he has decided that he is now a builder and flyer of gyroplanes. We're excited to bring him on so he can tell you all about how gyroplanes work, how he built his own and the process of all of that, and how he went and got all of his certificates because it's a little bit of a different process than it is just getting your fixed wing airplane single engine certificates. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. yeah, so stay tuned for that. It's really it was a really fun episode to film. We had the air show going on behind us. It was a little crazy, but it was a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. We're really excited about it. Yeah, and you've got a personal connection to him too, don't you? Yes, he was my chief pilot for a, quite a few years. He, I flew at the school that he uh, was chief pilot for, and yeah, we've he actually did my discovery flight. So he was actually the first person I ever flew with. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, looking forward to that one. So we didn't do the whole ad zone this time. So we're just going to point ad zone. Ad zone is that what we're calling it? I don't know. Is that do we want to call it that? That's actually really funny. I like it. All right, we'll keep it. Um, anyone has any objections to that? Just uh, send us a message. Um, so since we skipped that this time around, if you're looking for ways to support the Flying Midwest podcast and get some aviation equipment in the process, check out our affiliate links for Lightspeed Headsets and Flying Eyes. Remember, with Flying Eyes, you can get 10% off your purchase with our purchase code of Flying Midwest 10. Nice. So, winter is coming, which (coughs) means you can get your very own Flying Midwest podcast sweatshirt or hoodie or whatever you want. We have a lot available in our merch store. We would love if you could, if you want to, to support us by 
buying and wearing our merch. We also have a Patreon, so if you're not interested in merch, but you are interested in financially supporting us, you might want to head on over to our Patreon and become a patron. And for the patrons that are there already, thanks for your support. Thank you so much, guys. As always, if you have an idea for a future episode, want to be a guest on the Flying Midwest podcast, or just want to reach out and say hey, you can contact us on any of our social medias or email flyingmidwestpodcasts at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening, and until next time. See ya! See ya! Let's have 536 contact Minneapolis Center 132.35 today. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. I'm not with it, I'm sorry. There was no prep, like brain prep, so this is just me being yikes. Do you need to just go... (sighs) (sighs) Yeah. Oh no, Bronco. (laughs) Oh no, like its own meditation. Imagine you're in a field. <laughs> and you see all other cows. The cows. But one stands out. The brown cow. And you say, Oh now, brown cow. And all is well. All is well. This is the end of the Flying Witches podcast meditation. Thank you for joining us. And now everyone canard. <laughs> um well i'm taking a break from learning how to teach to just learn how to learn that's stupid yeah (laughs) i'm not a real professional i don't know if you noticed um i didn't think much of it sorry i had a brain reboot um i saw that it was weird Did you hear the dial-up noise coming out of yeah, my ears? Yeah, I'm like, I didn't think we had <laughs> dial-up anymore. All right. It's only in here, baby. That was my most recent upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> What's and I'm sure on? our viewers would also like to be enlightened. I mean, they're listening, but sure, viewers, yeah. <laughs> you, it turns oh. out that you see with your eyes, the view, <laughs> and you listen with oh. your ears, so you're a listener. It's audio only. <laughs> I can't see. I can't hear you. It's too dark in here. <laughs> yeah. Or the the classic, hey, I, where am I going again? Let me turn on the radio so I can see the street signs better. Okay. 100% do that. I get... I 100% I know, I do, too. do that. It's like, it needs to be quiet in here so my brain has <laughs> processing power to do, like, see a thing. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. We're okay, talking about this episode. Our listeners. Yes, listeners. You may know. Or not. I don't know. <laughs> God, I don't like any of this. Ah!